Now what we do is we don't go to the banks to buy the properties. We work with hard money lenders and private money lenders to acquire the deal directly from the seller. And then we update the property and we rehab it and make it ready for a tenant. Now this is the difference maker here, Sean. Now I'm going to a bank. What I'm asking is for the bank to refinance an existing loan. This time, when we go to the bank, we're not asking for an 80% loan to purchase. We're asking for a refinance. Well, check this out. If I can be all in for what the property appraises at, at 80% of that number, then I can get a loan for the whole house. But again, the goal is just to acquire an asset and not use a bunch of your own money to do it. And that's what the Burr Method does. It's amazing strategy, Sean. I love it. This is the We Love Real Estate Podcast. My name is Sean and I love real estate. In this weekly podcast, we interview the top real estate investors and professionals who share their knowledge and expertise to help you become a real estate investing boss. So if you love real estate and want to level up your investment game, then you've come to the right place. And now, on to the show. What's going on investors and welcome to episode 271 of the We Love Real Estate Podcast with Sean Pan. Today we have David Dodge on the show. David is a real estate investor who has been investing in properties for almost 20 years. And in this episode, David will teach us how he uses the Burr method to purchase properties with none of his own money. He'll be sharing his tips on how he uses different lenders to finance his deals and how he uses the Burr strategy to massively increase the amount of rentals that he has. So if you want to learn more about the Burr method, you definitely need to listen to this episode. As always, if you're an active real estate investor and you need a hard money loan for your next project, then you reach out to me directly at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Enjoy the show, and I'll see you next week. All right, David, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself, let us know who you are, and tell us what you do. Hey, man, thank you so much for having me, Sean. So, uh, yeah, man, I've been investing in real estate for almost 20 years. I've been doing it full-time for about eight years, and I basically started about eight years ago just learning about wholesaling and jumped into doing wholesaling and started marketing directly to sellers, sending postcards and some other types of marketing, of course. And I did that for about two or three years full time. And it was great. Made good money doing it. But it's such a job, right? Like I got into real estate to like have freedom to be able to take my wife to the park in the middle of the day or, you know, just be able to take a vacation here and there. And I realized that I was like back into a job. I just owned it. Instead of me working for somebody else, I worked for myself, but it was still a job. So about five years ago, man, I started pivoting into just buying rental properties. And I did that wrong out the gate. And then I learned about the Burr method and how the Burr method can allow me to acquire rental properties with little to no money. And I've been doing that ever since. So I did mention that I've been in real estate for about 20 years and I've been full-time for eight. So the first like 12 years, it was very passive and I had different jobs in sales and marketing or I had different businesses that were not, you know, not real estate related, but I was buying rentals very slowly. So in the beginning, I was buying about a house a year and I was getting it off the MLS from an agent and putting down 20% and getting a loan for 80%. Well, if you buy a $150,000 house and you have to bring 20% to the table, that's 30000 So I was you know, using my own money, borrowing that money from friends and family. And over the first 12 years, I basically had about 12 houses, which is good. You know, by all means, I don't look back at that as being negative, but it's slow. 
And it's very difficult for people to come up with 30,000 or whatever the 20% down is. So I had experience before I came into this full time, but it was just done wrong. All of that was wrong. It's kind of crazy to say it, but like it was very slow and it was just, it's very difficult for most people to do that. So let's jump ahead, Sean. I uh, started wholesaling. That was so great though, because I learned about direct to seller marketing. I learned about being able to go around to agents and not have to pay a bunch of commissions. And I work with agents too. I'm not hating on agents, but agents convince sellers to sell their property for retail. That's how they sell themselves. Like You can't go be an agent and be like, oh, I'll get you 50 cents on the dollar for your property. No one's going to sign a listing agreement with you. So it's just way easier to find people that are distressed and offer convenience to them, help them solve some problems. And then in exchange, get discounted deals on properties and turn them into rentals is really the name of the game. Rentals create income. It's passive-ish, right? And you can replace your earned income. So you can stop having to trade all your time for money at the job. So that's kind of who I am and what I've been doing. Nice. No, I was just saying, um, so now that you're doing that, is there a reason why you decided to do the Burr method versus just typical fix and flip? Yeah, so we do some, we do do some fix and flips, Sean. Um, we usually have a couple going, like one or two minimum, you know, going at any time. And we wholesale a couple deals a month, but I like the Burr method because it avoids me having to have a bunch of money in the deal to acquire it. So remember the first 12 years where I was putting down basically 30 grand just to buy a property? Well, now I don't have to use a dollar of my own money in the end. In the beginning, I borrow all of it. So it's the Burr method. For those that aren't familiar, let's just, just back up for a second and describe that. Burr is nothing more than a strategy that allows us to acquire a bunch of assets with little to none of our own money and very rapidly. That's it. That's what it is. It's a strategy. So what is Burr? Let's break that down. It's an acronym. B with three or four R's behind it. All right. So the B stands for buy. And then the three R's stand for rehab the property, rent the property, refinance the property. And if you add the fourth R, that's just repeat. And that's the cool part about this strategy is it's very scalable. You can be doing 10, 12, 15 of these or more at a time. I think I got 12 going right now. So, so it's very scalable. But the difference is, is this. In the beginning when I was buying properties, I was locating a property that I wanted to buy. I was doing it on the MLS. I was having an agent friend of mine help me locate them and, and help with the paperwork. But I'm buying this property and I'm asking for a loan from a bank while I'm buying it. So when you do that, when you buy a property and you use the bank, they're going to lend you 80% of the value, what you agreed to pay for it, assuming it appraises. So no matter what that number is, it could be $100, it could be $100 million, it's irrelevant. 80% 80%. You got to have 20% to buy that property unless you can get the seller to lend it to you, which is, you know, a strategy, but it's not something that you're going to be able to get every seller to want to do. So now what we do is we don't go to the banks to buy the properties. We work with hard money lenders and private money lenders to acquire the deal directly from the seller. We buy it at a discount and then we update the property and we rehab it and make it ready for a tenant. So most of the properties we're buying, they need a lot of work. 
So then we go in and we rehab the property. We're usually spending, you know, it used to be like 15 to 20. Now it's probably 20 to 30 to fix the property up. So it's a good amount. And then we rent it out. I got 90 units rented right now. So, you know, we have property managers or in the beginning, you can do it yourself. It's really easy. But you find a good tenant, you screen them, you rent it out. They pay you the rent and you allow them to live there. And then we go to the bank. Now, this is the difference maker here, Sean. Now I'm going to a bank and I'm not asking for a loan to buy a house. What I'm asking is for the bank to refinance an existing loan, a loan that I created with a private or hard money lender, either while I have this property under contract or before to get the money to buy it and rehab it. And in the beginning, they didn't lend all the money to buy it and rehab. But once you build really good relationships with your private lenders and your hard money lenders, they will. So we create an agreement when we buy from that hard money or private money loan. And that's essentially a loan. It's backed by the real estate. It's very simple. It's only a couple page little note. And then they're on the deed of trust as well when we're closing. But this time when we go to the bank, we're not asking for an 80% loan to purchase. We're asking for a refinance. Well, they say, okay, let's send a, an appraiser out to appraise the property and we'll lend you 80% of the appraised amount. Well, check this out. If I can be all in for what the property appraises at, at 80% of that number, then I can get a loan for the whole house. So when I'm buying it, like in the beginning and I'm asking for the bank to give me an 80% loan, well, what's the number? Let's say it's a $150,000 house. Well, I got to bring 30 grand to the table. But if I can, 150 minus the 30 down is 120K loan. So in that example, if I can be all into a property at 120, they're going to lend the same amount. I just don't have to bring that 30 grand to the table. So I'm earning that skin in the game. And I'm basically playing the arbitrage of increased value. And the beautiful thing is, is we as people have the ability to increase the value of things. We fix them up. Or my personal favorite, we buy it at a big discount because then you have you have value added in from the beginning. But the cool thing is, is you can use both of those strategies, buy at a discount and fix them up to create that 20% down. But it's not down. It's 20% created that when you get the same loan you would have before, you're using the skin in the game as the equity, not money that you have to bring to the table as the equity. So what we do is we borrow the money from private lenders or hard money lenders or lines of credit off of existing assets. We buy them at a discount. We fix them up. We rent them out. And then once they're rented out, they're assets right there. So even if I'm paying 10 or 12% to a lender, the house is paying for itself once it's rented. So if it takes another one or two or six months to get a refi, so what? The house is paying for itself. But then you go to the bank and here's the difference maker. I'm getting a loan the first time based on a percentage of the purchase price. And if it doesn't appraise for that, it's not a good thing. But if it does, they're going to lend that. The second time I'm, I'm getting the loan based upon the appraisal, not the purchase price. So if we're able to buy low, in some houses we'll do this strategy with five grand worth of rehab. Not all of them are a ton. But it's way easier to get a good deal on a property that needs more work. So therefore, you typically have to spend more. But again, the goal is just to acquire an asset and not use a bunch of your own money to do it. And that's what the Burr Method does. It's amazing strategy, Sean. I love it. Absolutely. I mean, 
my wife and I, we actually just completed our own burr project. We did one over in Texas here where we bought a super rundown moldy house for maybe half the value of what it would be, uh, putting around 80 grand into it because it had a lot of work. And then when we did a cash out refinance, we pulled out not just the money we put into it, but all the money and then some, you know, an extra like 30 or 40 grand. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So it was amazing. Great, great thing. And, uh, you know, again, you had a great story. So we have a lot to unpack here. So let's start hitting it one at a time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for being such a good listener, man. Yeah, for sure. So the first one um, that's interesting that I think a lot of people don't know how to do is how do you do 100% financing on the front end? So like you mentioned in the beginning, even hard money lenders, right? I'm a hard money lender. I do loans all the time. We don't give 100% financing to an individual. We'll probably give them 80% of the purchase price, maybe 90% if they have experience. And we can fund a majority of the rehab budget, but the extra 10% we do expect to come from them or a private money lender. So what are you doing to secure 100% financing for your deals? Relationships. So if you lent me money to buy a deal right now, you wouldn't. I wouldn't expect it 100% because we're new. This relationship just started 40, 40, 30 minutes ago. So sometimes you have to put some money into the game a little bit to build the relationship. But if we do 15 loans together and I say, hey, I got this other guy that's going to do this. You, want, you still want to work with me? Like you may say no, but if you build really, really good relationships, people are going to want to keep working with you. So that's typically how we'll do it. And I, and, and I did say, and you, and you said it as well, that you're not always going to get a hundred percent financing on the deal. So relationships matter. But another thing that really helps not only build the relationship to do more deals, but to get the better terms is to buy properties at deep discounts. You know, if I bring my hard money lender a property that I'm looking to borrow 80 grand on, but the ARV is 200 and it needs 30 or 40, you could screw that up six different ways and still make 20 or 30 grand on that, on those numbers right there, right? So if you can get deep discounts, your lenders will be more than happy to help with those deals as well. Another way to do it if you're new is to offer, let's assume that it's a, it could be hard money too, but let's assume it's a private money lender. In the beginning, I wasn't offering to just pay 10%. That's a hard sale. If you're brand new and you want to do more deals, I think I've bought 700 houses in the last seven years. I think we did a 160 last year. If you want to do more deals, create better terms. So what I would do is in the beginning, I would go to my private lenders and say, I'll pay you the 12, 10, 12, 14%, and I'll give you 20% of the profit. If I don't have the money to do the deal, I can't make any money. So make get creative and partner with people. I get students come to me all the time. I don't have very, very good credit. Well, that's okay. Well, let's start working on that right now. But in the meantime, partner with somebody who does have good credit and can get a refinance. And you do all of the work. And all they got to do is show up and sign some docs and be your partner. I mean, you can't not do that always. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's just no excuse. If people want to get invested and involved. They got to they gotta jump in. Yeah. I mean, if the deal is good enough, then it's going to be good. Yeah. If the deal is good enough, then you'll find someone that will want to work with you. Right. But get creative is my point. The most create he who is the most creative typically will win because you can offer more. And yeah, offer more, provide some terms, you know, create a relationship. Most of my private money lenders that we work with, we met at RIA clubs. They were other investors. They'd been in the game longer 
or had sold a business and, and liked real estate. And we have the energy and they have the money. So we partner with them. And after we do a bunch of deals and a bunch of loans with them, basically more people are wanting to lend to you at that point. So then you can start, you know, just saying, well, here's what I'm willing to pay. And they kind of have a little marketplace, but you can't build that by just waking up and hoping it's going to appear there. You got to work on that. So, you know, that's, that's really, really good point. And in the beginning though, like if you do have somebody who has 30 grand, 20 grand, 50 grand, go work with the private or hard money lender to get 80, 90% of it and then use that money. And again, that person that has, it doesn't have to do anything. If you're willing to put in the work to manage the project and they can get a piece of it or paid off with a, with a hefty little, uh, interest rate so you just got to get creative but you know why rentals why do you want to buy rentals rentals they, they pay themselves off over time and they put money in your pocket and it's taxed way less and if you can put money in your pocket from anything elsewhere than having to go trade time for money and have a job you're going to create financial freedom which is going to create time freedom that's why i love wholesaling i like fixing and flipping but all of those things require a lot of work and they're time consuming and it's not necessarily the goal. More money isn't always the goal. Being able to have more freedom is. Right. And once you stop your marketing efforts, that's it. Right. You don't get paid after you're done with the wholesale. After you're done with the flip, that's it. It's a transaction treadmill. It's great. But yeah, you're just creating more more work, you know? So man, I'm a huge advocate for rentals. I'm a huge advocate for the Burr method. The Burr method is not something you can execute in a day or a week in probably not even a month in most cases. It's a strategy that we use that typically takes, you know, two to five months, six months sometimes, seven months sometimes, but it's usually not a year. Usually we can buy it and rehab it relatively quickly and get it rented. Now in the beginning as well, you're going to want to create relationships with banks to refinance and they may have seasoning requirements. Say you got bad credit, I fixed that problem for you already. Partner with somebody who does, fix yours. Just don't wait to, you know, just do it until yours. Partner with them. And with the banks, you have to build relationships with them as well, too. So you want to not necessarily go use a different banker every time. Pick one or two or three or whatever, but keep you in bit keep doing business with them because once you build a relationship with them as well they will reduce and or remove seasoning requirements. They're not required to do that. They do that because it's it creates them some risk adversity, right? So what's seasoning? Seasoning means that you'd have to have owned the house for you know a certain amount of time or have had it rented for a certain amount of time before they will issue you a loan. Well, if you're brand new, that that seasoning could be six months, but that's okay. Again, you're you're if you, once you have a house. That's rented. It's paying for itself. Even if your rate's 10 or 12%, typically you may not cash flow, but you, but it's paying for itself. So who cares if you have to pay high interest for six or eight months? So just out of curiosity, like what kind of banks are you using and what kind of refinance strategies or loans do you use to refinance your properties? Yeah. So we never purchase a, a house with a bank. I shouldn't say never because we, you know, sometimes we have to do, do creative things, but. Most of the time, we're buying houses with private and hard money lenders, right? Simple. Work with GCs, and we have a couple guys that work for us, but not we're not a big operation. Uh, mostly just hire GCs to fix the properties up. We have relationships with them. We have three different property managers, depending on which property and where it's located and what type. 
could be a commercial, Airbnb, single family rental, multi, you know, whatever, so on and so forth. And then when we go to the banks, we're always asking for refinances. We're not asking for cash out refinances either. We've done some. Uh, we did one the other day and we pulled out 50K, right? But typically the goal is zero. So let me explain. The goal is zero and in the end out of pocket. So we're really just trying to create that 20% equity to be able to acquire the asset. When you do a cash out refi, they're typically only going to do a 75% loan. And it may even be a little bit higher rate than a rate and term loan. So we don't typically ask for the cash out refinance. And we like the rate and term a little bit better. But another thing is, is if any money comes back to you, even if it's like just the rehab, the banks consider that cash out refi. So my goal is always to try to use none of my money in the beginning, in the middle, or the end. Because then when you get to the end, if any money is coming back to you, even if it was just money for rehab, you're cashing out essentially. So the terms change. So I would rather borrow 100% and even in some cases over borrow 10, 15 grand. Think about this for a second. You buy a house at a deal, 50 cents on the dollar. I'm going to borrow the purchase, the rehab, and 10 extra grand. I'm just going to pay me that 10 today, not later. And I get it rehabbed for that amount, get it rented. It's renting great. Take it to a bank and they say, oh, we'll send the appraiser out, give you 80%. If I'm into that property at 80%, I don't use any of my money. The lender gets paid back. Usually I can get a little more to pay all the interest closing and be in it for zero. That's the zero. You all in at zero. But in that scenario, I did a cash out refi, did I not? I just did it in the beginning. And it wasn't on all the paperwork and nothing came to me from the end banker either. It went to the lender. So you're going to, you want to remove the, your, the paper trail essentially of it coming to you, but they don't care anyway, as long as you bring them a product. So a refi, you're actually not asking a bank to create new risk. You're asking them to transfer risk. Well, they assume that if there's risk, somebody underwrote it, which is you and your lender. And they're piggybacking on that due diligence too. So there's so many reasons that it just works and makes sense. And my bankers know I do, Burr. I don't hide anything. I'm ultra transparent. And with the students I work with, I teach them to be the same way. I tell bankers when I meet them, I do the Burr method. Do you have any problem with lending on an, on an appraised amount? Because I make my money when I buy a deal. Like it's, it's equity. At, at the end of the day, it's not much different if I did bring the 20% down or if I use the equity in the property. But the underwriting problem changes things, right? So you have to do it through the method, the Burr method, to eliminate all of the extra underwriting and actual cash down. It's all, everything's based on a percentage of an appraised amount. So just be in for less than 80% of the appraised amount and you're golden. And I think that's a pretty interesting thing that I didn't even think about, right? And I think most people who haven't done the Burr strategy yet or haven't tried to refinance will also not know this. But like you mentioned, there is a big difference between a cash out and a regular rate term refinance uh, from a lender's perspective. Cash out refinances are like the worst kind of loans that lenders want to do. It's like riskier because you're giving them more money than they put in. Whereas a rate term refinance, like you said, oh, someone else already gave you this loan. Cool. We're just replacing that loan with our terms. So, I mean, that, that gave me a lot of good ideas. When you get private money loans, ultimately, do you have them write a payoff letter or like how does that work to show that you owe this much money to this other private money lender? 
Oh, it's a great question. My transaction coordinator does all this, so I'm not the expert at it, even though we do it, you know, 10 times a month, right? So typically we'll find a deal we want to buy and we, we don't buy not deals, right? Like we'll sometimes pay 0.85, like 85% for a property. But if we know we can increase the value a ton with the rehab, we'll still be all in at, you know, 75, 80% anyway. But typically we're trying to find deals at, you know, 70%, 60%, 50%, really, really low. And what was your exact question? Again, I got sidetracked. Yes, just like how do you deal with the paperwork to prove that you have a loan from a private money lender? Oh, the paperwork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, so yeah, so if we find a deal, so you make your money when you buy, you get paid when you sell. That's like lesson number 101 real estate. Lesson one, you make your money when you buy, you get paid when you sell. So make your money when you buy, buy a deal. So we'll find the deal and then we'll get it under contract. And then we'll figure out what the repairs are. And then we'll contact one of our private lenders who we've established amazing relationships with. And I do work with hard money lenders as well. Uh, but private lenders are better because it's just Bob. It's Susan. It's Tom. It's your friend. It's your buddy. It's another real estate investor. It's a text message or an email or a phone call about a deal. Like it's so simple. So then we'll typically send them an email or in some cases a text message with like a, address or a Zillow link, you know, estimate of repairs, and then what we need for it. And then they'll basically say, yeah, I got the money available. And I know the last 10 you did with me were great. Let's do another. Like the underwriting isn't even a big deal if they're another investor too. You know, if, if they work at an accounting firm, they're going to probably want to ask you a ton of questions, right? Because they don't know anything about real estate. So again, relationships are going to help. Uh, but if, if, if they do real estate and they look at it and they're like, oh yeah, this estimate's 200 and you get this thing for 80, it only needs, you know, 30, 40 grams to work. Like, great. Because here's the thing. If they lend me the money and I screw up, they get the house. They just got a deal. They're piggybacking on all of the efforts from me and my team marketing as well. They don't want me to screw up. Let's be honest. And I never have. But if I did, I just handed them a 20 or $30,000 check. So it's, pretty risk adverse. So then to answer your question, sorry about that, but that kind of leads into this. Then we will tell them the amount that we need when we're closing and get the wire instructions. And then we'll create a note that lays out the terms. Is it 10% or 12%? And you know, the, the duration, it's just about two or three pages. It's called a note and we'll put together a note and then we'll give that to the title company saying that there's a lender and they're going to be wiring the money in and there's a mortgage essentially. And then on the deed of trust, it'll state that it's owned by me and my company, but there's a mortgage. So they're on two different docs. One, we deliver one, the title company can help us draft. And, and then the day of, or before lender wires the money in and the deal gets closed and we will go to the title company and we will pick up the twenty or thirty or forty or fifty thousand dollars for the rehab from the title company. Typically, you know, it's all of it's wired in the total loan amount. So then, and then we'll meet the seller there and get the keys and sign the paperwork, and they'll get their cashier's check, and and then it's just like that. So you use a note and a deed of trust, and I help my students with this and and, and you know show them how to do it. It's it's really not that difficult. You just have to make sure that your lender's on board. It can't be on vacation and not have the money wired. Like they, they have to understand this is a serious business, but you know, it's, it's pretty risk adverse since there's a deal and there's a property back in it. 
and there's money to be made as well too. So, you know. So on your backend transaction, when you do your final refinance, you mentioned that you do take no cash out because again, that changes the terms. But what do you do about closing costs? Do you just eat those or do you get a larger loan amount to cover that? So, so yeah. So if you're in it at 80% and they lend 80%, you're going to have costs. You're going to have any overages. You're going to have closing. You're going to have interest on that loan that you borrowed, assuming, you know, you borrowed that amount. So really the goal is to be in at 75%. Sean, that's a great question. I love that you, you know, kind of pointed that out. So if you're in at 75% and you owe your lender four, five, six grand worth of interest and closing costs, you're going to be able to have that padded in. Absolutely. So the goal is zero. It's to have zero money in at the end. It's not even to walk with it. So sometimes the, like the HUD will say, you're, you know, you have to bring a thousand to the table or two thousand or four thousand or five thousand if you don't, you know, pad those numbers in. Other times the HUD will say, you're actually going to get two grand. And if the number is really low, they don't consider it cash out. Right. But if it's like eight or 10 or 15 or 35, you know, they're going to, they're going to think that's a cash out. So being in at a lower percentage is going to be better because you'll have more spread in there, you know? So all the properties that are in my portfolio, we average less than $1,200 in them at the end of the day, which pays for itself in three or four months of cash flow. Yeah. So in the beginning, I was leaving 15, 20 grand in properties. We're really more like 30. That was before Burr method. So you don't use the Burr method 30, 30, 30 grand in a, in a property. You use the Burr method and you do it wrong for a year or two, like I did. You leave 10, 15, 20 in a property. And now if we see more than like 2,500 or 3,000 that we have to bring to the table, we're like, man, we screwed that one up. <laughs> the average, you know, is less than 1,200 bucks. But again, three, four months of cash flow, you can typically have none of it in there as well, too. Very cool. And another issue that a lot of people who try to do the Burr strategy, at least to scale, is after 10, they get cut off from the major banks. So what are you doing to bypass that? So this is actually, I love this question because it's not an obstacle at all. I don't even have 10 loans in my name. I probably have 65, 70, 75. I don't even know how many loans I have, but they're all in my business's names. So I don't really care about that objection of, I can only have 10 loans. Go get an LLC and create a business and get the loan in your business. You're not limited to that. There's no, there's no rule, right? So you, yeah, you are going to pay a little bit higher interest rate by having it in a business, but you also have liability protection and the ability to file taxes through the business to not complicate your personal side. You have so many more advantages by operating through a business. So I think I have, I have a personal home and I have a second home, a lake house. I think both of those are personal loans. But then the other 70-ish loans I have are all through LLCs. They're commercial loans. And just because it's called a commercial loan doesn't mean it's going to be some crazy big thing. It can be $75,000 loan with a local bank down the street. But they're lending it to an LLC and just by definition, that's a commercial loan. It's business doing, doing business with business. So, you know, another thing is, is I don't go to like Wells Fargo or Bank of America or U.S. Bank or any of these big, big, big banks, Sean, 
And the reason is, is because dealing with their, with their departments is, is going to be bouncing you all over the place. And I would rather just work with a local bank. I want to walk into the, to a local bank that's got three or five or 10 branches, you know, maybe a little more than that, but not big and be, you know, and ask who's the, who's, who does lending to businesses for, for real estate and meet the president or the vice president and make a real, you know, build a relationship with that person. So are these, these aren't like typical Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac type of loans, right? These are held by local banks and I guess they have their own terms because they're the ones underwriting the deals and holding onto loans. Correct. Yeah, I don't use Bank of America, U.S. Bank, Chase, Wells Fargo, any of the big names like that. I want to work with a local bank that's going to hold the loan in 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 house. It's called portfolio lending. So any most of the loans that we have with our local bankers, they're not sold off on Wall Street or traded to other banks. They're kept in house. And are these also thirty year fixed loans? You can get thirty year fixed. Most of them are twenty to twenty five year loans. And they're going to have a fixed rate for anywhere between three and five years that just renews because it doesn't have to balloon, right? It can just, it, the great thing about the local banks is, is that you have, you can, you can get creative lending products through them. So most of the banks that we started using in the beginning, and I still work with today, they'll do 20 year amortization with a five year fixed rate. But at the end of the five years, it doesn't come due. It's just, they give you a new rate for five more years but you're basically at year six of your AMWR, right? So the goal is is to pay these properties off, but also to cash flow simultaneously. So sometimes having 30 years is good. Other times having a 20 or 25 is better because it's quicker. So it kind of depends on which strategy you want to go with. You know, are you trying to maximize cash flow today or are you using this as a retirement plan and you want to retire in 15 years, not 30, you know? So yeah. And local banks are great because, again, they are more flexible um, and they do let you have more and more loans than you know, the 10 that you're normally limited to. Also, I guess most people don't know this, but you actually, well, as far as I know, you can't get a, a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan through an LLC. Like, they just won't do it to you. I don't think you can. I think those are more personal. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so one thing people can do is they can take advantage of FHA uh, on the first home they buy and they can buy duplex or quad. Or buy a house and live in it for a year or two and then buy another one another way and rent that one out, right? So those are some simple, easy, creative ways. Also, I started out in college house hacking. Like the first property I bought, I was 20. And I rented out four, three of the bedrooms. It was a four-bedroom house, you know? So Yeah, me too. House hacking is great. House hacking is great. I did that three times in college. You know, it's just another creative way to get into them. But the bird method, Sean, is what I think to be the easiest way. And it's just a safe way. And it's just kind of a fail-proof way. You know, you just got to create relationships with people. But that's the beautiful thing about it, too, though, is, is that you can use all of these relationships and leverage other people and other people's money to create, you know, a, a portfolio of assets. You know, like I don't swing a hammer. I used to. I don't do that. I used to lease my own properties, but I don't do that. I used to do the cold calling, but I don't do that. I used to close the transactions. I don't even do that anymore. I leverage all these people that are on my team. So you can build a team around yourself to automate a lot of the business, you know? So that, that's like the coolest part. I just make sure that we're driving the ship in the right direction and 
you know, use leverage every step of the way. So I use leverage to buy, I use leverage to rehab, I use leverage to rent, I use leverage to refinance. Obviously, that is the leverage. And um, and then a property manager to keep the portfolio running. You know, it's amazing. You can leverage everybody. And how do you go about finding these local banks to finance your properties? Yeah, so I teach my students, Sean, to find banks that are local to you, local banks and credit unions that have less than 10 or 15 branches. So you should be able to identify one or two that you drive by on your way to eat dinner or get your hair cut or whatever it is. It's a small little bank and it's, you know, you probably never even really noticed it because you're thinking if it's not, you know, one of the big dogs that has an ATM on every corner, they're probably not relevant, but they are. They're very relevant. So credit unions too. We work with credit unions. I just was on a phone with one this morning, you know, a lot too. Credit unions are great. But you just want to find those banks because then you're not going to be dealing with, all right, check out this example. You you call Chase Bank, biggest bank in the world as far as I know, right? And you're like, I want to get a loan. And they're like, all right, cool. We're going to connect you with Tom out of Phoenix. And then you're on the phone with Tom and he's like, I need your taxes and I need your information and all this. And then there's another guy that's up in Minnesota and he's got a request for some documents. And before you know it, you got five, six points of contact. Right. Try to scale that. No way. But if I got this guy over at the bank down the corner on the street here that I live on and his name's Craig and I got Craig's cell phone number. Right. And I'm like, hey, I just got another one. I need to refi. Here's the address. And oh, by the way, here's a spreadsheet showing that I spent 27 grand updating it. So if I don't pay you guys back your bank. You guys are going to have to foreclose, but you now have a property that's going to be so easy to sell because it's got a brand new roof and a brand new HVAC and a brand new kitchen. Craig's like, yeah, we'll do that deal all day long. Let's send out the appraiser. But I'm dealing with Craig. I'm not dealing with people in four different cities simultaneously trying to collect all my information. And this is often overlooked, Sean, but very valuable. Once I do one or two deals with Craig, he has all my documents on file. So now I just email Craig with an address and he says, when do you want to close? And he maybe needs a, a, a purchase contract and, a, and one or two other things, but I'm not having to go compile all these docs for two weeks to do it. I build a relationship. Also, Craig will happily lend to my business because he doesn't plan on selling that off on Wall Street like Chase Bank would. Right. And it just makes that whole process simple. Craig also knows I bought that at a deal and I'm going to have no money in it. He doesn't give a, a crap. He's happy that I'm acquiring this asset and he's getting to sell me a loan. You know, I go in from the beginning whenever I'm walking into the local banks. So fine. Just think about the, you probably drive by five of them. You don't even know. Then look at them, but they're, they're everywhere. There's banks everywhere. Walk in there, say, Hey, who lends to businesses to buy some real estate? I'm using the Burr method. Let's have a conversation. And I get turned down. I've, Sean, I've done 200 Burr deals in the last five and a half, six years. 200 of them. You could say I have some experience. I get turned down from banks sometimes because sometimes banks won't have the appetite to lend to that particular sector or whatever at that time. So you got to understand that when you walk into a bank, they may not say yes right away to you. That's okay. But check this out. Turn those no's into coaches, free unpaid coaches that you can call or email anytime because they make money when they give you loans. 
So you turn them into a coach and say, okay, you won't give it to me today. How can we do this in six months? How can we do this in a year in some cases? Yeah, be persistent. But they're going to say, yeah, fix your debt to income. You need to get your taxes filed for your business. You need to get that credit score up. You need to pay off some of these credit cards. Just listen, they're, they're telling you what you need to do to do business with them for free. Super valuable. Turn them into coach. Love it, man. Awesome. Yeah, I think with the birth strategy, the hardest part really is financing and understanding how that whole component goes. Uh, because ultimately, like you said, the end goal is to own this property without any of your own money into it so you can scale and continue buying more and more and more and more without having been stuck, having to put down 20% from your property. So that's amazing. Yeah. Think, think about this. If you got somebody that you know that's private or hard money that has, you know, 400K and you can be, you can buy properties, you know, and be all in at 100 to 150. You could have two going at any given time. And if you can do them in three or four months, two, four, six, you could, you could acquire six properties in one year's time with no, no money down versus having to bring 10, 15, 20, 30 grand each time. Alexa, what's 30,000 times six? I'm so bad at math. You have to have 180 G's to go, to go acquire six houses in a year. Not anymore. <laughs> That's right. Good relationships, good strategy, and you'll be able to scale a lot faster. So David, how can people find out more about you and your program to teach people how to do the birth strategy? Absolutely, Sean. I love helping and working with my students. Uh, in fact, two days a week for multiple hours, three, four hours a day, uh, I dedicate to my, helping my students, jumping in, helping them you know, figure this kind of stuff out. Um, and if you want to learn more, guys, go head on over to wholesalinginc.com forward slash rentals. Again, that's wholesalinginc.com forward slash rentals. And you can learn a little bit more about the Burr Method, learn a little bit about, about me. And then also you can book a call with uh, my team to learn how we can work together. But uh, Sean, that's really the passion these days. I got 10, 12 rehabs going at any given time for the Burr Method. And, you know, the portfolio at this point spits off 20 grand a month. So it's just on autopilot and we're going to grow it to 100 grand a month. You know, super easy, but I, I like helping people. So yeah, reach out. We'd love to work with you. Wonderful. Well, David, thank you again so much for being on the show today. And thank you for sharing so much about the Burr Method. Again, if anyone wants to go check out the website, go to wholesalinginc.com slash rentals to find out more and to get your Burr Method started. Thanks for having me, Sean. I really appreciate your time today, buddy. I hope you like this episode. You can find the show notes with all the links on our site, everythingrei.com. If you like the podcast, please help us grow by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and telling your friends to listen as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.